Welcome to another episode of Political Entertaining. I'm Frank here with Byron. And Byron, we got a lot of stuff to get to, but before we get started talking about everything we do on the show, let the listeners know what we do, how we do, and why we do it. It is so much going on these days, uh, socially, politically, and we, me and Frank, we're here to pretty much uh, give you a fresh take because if you're somebody that has CNN or MSNBC on your TV at work, you're probably sick and tired of hearing about a lot of stuff. So you can come here. We try to we try our best to give you fresh takes on it and talk about some of the things that your CNNs may not be talking about. Before we get into the deep, important stuff, though, Frank, I got a question for you. Who would you say is your favorite actor right now? Man, that is a tough question. Um, I hadn't thought about this at all. And that's a great setup. I will. I'm going to go with Jake Gyllenhaal. I don't I think he is somebody who has been in a lot of good movies, has pretty good range, and I enjoy his acting. I think he's a, a pretty good actor, so I'm going to go with Jake Gyllenhaal. I I personally, uh, I'm a big uh, Denzel Washington fan. I think he is, you know, playing a lot of good movies, not a lot of terrible ones. Uh, and last year, you know, during the Mayweather-Pacquiao fight, there was this funny meme going around with him and how he looked with the mustache and the hat on. And a lot of people had jokes and made some funny memes about it. Well, he's promoting his movie Magnificent Seven. And during the interview, the guy, you know, brought this up. And I want you to listen. I want you and the listeners to listen to Denzel Washington's response to these memes. He was a Pacquiao fight and you became like in that meme. Uh, they put this picture of you up. Uh, everyone just started putting little comments about your uncle Denzel. Did, did you see that stuff? How So as you listen to it, I mean, <laughs> did you know that he was that? I mean, did he come across as petty and sensitive to you? Uh, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, because Denzel has been like, I guess you could say a sex symbol. If you watch Martin, you know, whenever Pam would bring up Denzel Washington, she would, you know, get get that feeling or whatever. So he's been like a sex symbol. So is he sensitive because it was talking about his looks or I mean, him mentioning he wish he had his wallet. Did you know he was that petty? Did it come across that way to you? It it did seem somewhat petty from a standpoint of Denzel to, to some women is still the standard of attractiveness. I mean, you know, my, my mom is in her 60s and Denzel still makes her and my aunt still talk about Denzel and, and Denzel and glory. And, you know, so he's he's captivated a, a generation or two of, of certainly African-American women. Uh, and maybe all women, you know, just with his his, char- his charisma on screen and, and obviously his looks, uh, you know, it just came off. He was very defensive. I won't call him totally petty. He just seemed a little bit defensive for a guy who, you know, he's Denzel. And that was his chance to kind of be, you know, down to earth a little bit. You know, he's kind of like he kind of had, a, I won't say a, I don't want to say like this, but he kind of seemed a little bit uptight. 
about it. And, and so that was funny. But I mean, honestly, uh, sometimes stars are like that, you know, or maybe he's having a bad day. But he did seem defensive. I will say that. He made sure he repeated it. It sounded like he messed it up both times, but he made sure he repeated it, and uh, it didn't sound like he was having it. So I thought that was funny. I still like him, and I'll still check out his movies. Uh, right now, let's get into some politics. Listening to Politically Entertaining, your Cliff's Notes to American Politics. And now, your hosts, Frank and We got Byron. a Black Lives Matter flag flying over the University of Vermont. Uh, Kevin Garnett, 21 years in the NBA, has retired. Colin Kaepernick is on the cover of Time Magazine. We encourage you to, to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Podbean, podcast on Google Play, Politically Entertaining. Please subscribe to the podcast. You get each episode as they are posted. Uh, Frank, got a lot to talk about. Let's start off last week. There was, I guess you could, I guess it's safe to say now, an act of terrorism in the Chelsea neighborhood of New York City. 29 people were injured. No one was killed, thankfully. Uh, the suspect was called Ahmad Khan Rahani, I think Rahami is how you pronounce his name. Uh, he wound up being in a shootout with the police. He shot at the officers five times, was taken into custody, uh, and they're going to try to get whatever whatever information they can out of him right now. He's not cooperating. Uh, there's also a side story to this that I'm sure we'll talk about later in the show. A lot of people wondering how was he arrested? How can a terrorist be arrested that shoots at cops and be taken alive when you have these unarmed black males that are doing much minor stuff that are not taken alive. But you don't have to take it there right now if you don't want to, Frank, but I wanted to get your thoughts on, you know, this act of terrorism in uh, New York City. I mean, it's a first of all, it's a horrible thing that we're still seeing and dealing with, you know, this thing where people are attacking this nation. Certainly that, that gives, that should give everybody pause and, and make you worried. Uh, as far as, you know him him being taken alive and versus some other things we're going to get into i mean i think that's obviously something that people are always going to wonder i mean just just taking out of the equation some other things that happened with other unarmed people being shot you wonder why he was how he was taken alive from a standpoint of man once you start shooting at the police it seems like they pretty much um will take you down but for whatever reason they kept him alive and he's not cooperating so there may be maybe there's some protocol that we're not aware of when they're dealing with a terrorist suspect to try and maybe keep them alive to get information about what they're doing. I, I don't know the exact uh, story behind it, but certainly the on its face, the fact that there's somebody who's still, you know, people are still basically making bombs and blowing it up and that you can have these soft uh, targets where people can be at different events, you know, just different public places that aren't well secured and people can have a homemade bomb and. You know, um, people get injured. I believe at the time when I read the report, I think 29 people have been injured. 
Uh, I don't know if that yeah. number had gone up, but certainly that's that's a tragedy in itself. So, you know, I'll, I'll just address that on its face. It's a tragedy because those people were there, you know, not expecting to obviously be injured by a homemade bomb or anything like that. So certainly, you know, it's something we ought to be vigilant about. If you see something, say something. I think that's very important. Uh, because a lot of these smaller attacks, they're not necessarily, I mean, some people, you know, they'll say it's ISIS, it's this, it's that. But a lot of times people are, are acting on their own. What we'll end up finding out is after all the facts come out, these people kind of had their own homegrown feelings about why they hated the United States. And at that point they decided, okay, well, I want to do something, but they're not necessarily in, in, ISIS isn't built up, and that's why they're so difficult to stop. I don't want to go on a tangent, but they're not built up like okay, they're calling the central command center of ISIS saying, "Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this act." They kind of just get radicalized, follow the propaganda, and then they act. So it's a very uh, concerning incident and something that we all need to be uh, watching and praying that uh, we can try to get a handle on. I don't know if it was because no one was killed, but I I thought the panic level was very uh, I guess. I, I felt like it was very adequate. We didn't panic too much. You know, we they dealt with it. The people in New York, I think, handled the situation very well. I'm glad he's caught, and I'm glad no one was killed. But not a lot more to say about it. It's been covered heavily, so we will move on. And if something new comes up, we will definitely bring it up on a future episode. This past Saturday, we have a new museum on the uh, mall in Washington, D.C. It's the African-American History Museum. It opened this past weekend. And uh, I, that that has been covered. I want to talk about a different subject. Before I do, uh, a guy that has been on this show, Senator Tim Scott, he has some pretty profound uh, comments on what he hope pe- what he hopes people get from this museum. And I like the listeners to take a listen real quick. In that moment, I hope that one of the beauties uh, of this museum being here will be an understanding and appreciation of the depth of the pain, agony, and tragedy of slavery. I hope that the weight of the past will slow your gait and bow your head. And as you walk out here, I hope that the sense of freedom and a sense of expectations will overwhelm you and that you will feel individually responsible for making America the most amazing country for every single citizen in our land. Again, that was Senator Tim Scott on his thoughts on what he hopes people get when they visit the museum. Now, another former guest, uh, Dr. Claiborne Carson, one of our favorites, his interview, matter of fact, is on our YouTube channel, Politically Entertaining. He, um, he has some words. He, he was quoted in an article. What I want to talk to you, uh, Frank, is what is noticeably missing from this museum are like prominent Martin Luther King artifacts. Now, you would think, you know, African-American history, you know, Martin Luther, King, Martin, Martin Luther King is at the top as far as, you know, historical figures, not only in, in African-American history, but in American history, period. Um, but his kids, they have been known to be difficult to work with. Uh, if you talk to movie directors, uh, even the, the King Monument that's on the Washington Mall now, they had to deal with the kids. They are about getting that paper. Bernice, Dexter, and Martin Luther King the third. they are about getting paid for their father's work. And the article kind of vilified them a little bit. 
And as I mentioned, Dr. Claiborne Carson, he's quoted as saying they've made they've made clear that they're not going to just give away his legacy. So I just think realistically, you have to move on. The uh, the curator wanted his Bible that was last seen uh, at Obama's first inauguration. He was sworn in on it. They wanted to put the Bible in there. And they also wanted to put the Nobel Peace Prize in the museum, but they couldn't meet the price. So I guess I, what I want to ask you is, is that selfish of the kids to want not only get paid, but want such a huge amount of money for their father's artifacts? Or can you understand their position? Like if, if you or my father were this great historical figure, Malcolm X or someone like that, I, you can you can understand wanting to get paid for it. So where do you side as far as if they should share their, their father's history with the museum or if they are, are they correctly wanting to get compensated for his artifacts and works? Well, I think there's a couple of different things going on that I do want to address. And I've read about Bernice Dexter and Martin Luther King III's uh, squabbles over over their father's uh, different artifacts, have you will. Uh, one of the things they seem to have an internal struggle, so they're not they're not don't always seem even totally united together to say, okay, yes, every time somebody comes up, we're going to get paper. Like we're going to, we got a three way split and you know, it's not like one of those things where it's like, okay, we're going to, we got, we got a system and we're going to do it. It's like, they kind of have their internal fighting, which is a sibling rivalry, which is hard, harder to address. They sued each other. right, Right. So that's very difficult to address because if you have siblings, then you know how those things can just get weird and it just siblings and money don't always mix. Now, the other side of it is, uh, you know, obviously Martin Luther King, when he passed away, his kids were young and, you know, we had a guy, had Eric Newman on here of um, New Vision um, uh, Consulting, you know, talk about insurance. And, and I don't know that Martin Luther King had a great insurance policy when he passed away. So, you know, his parent, his, his kids probably didn't have much, but their father became such a great historical figure. He almost became like, how would you say, uh, an asset that paid off. So there, I don't think from a standpoint of, hey, you have, you know, you lost your father when you were young and now you're supposed to, you know, give him away for free. I mean, this is America. And for all that, you know, we say about different things like that, they're they're just making business decisions. Now, you know, are some of the prices exorbitant? I don't know. I'm not in the world of museum curating and understanding what's a fair price and what's not. Although people have come to the consensus that they are a little bit exorbitant with what they want. So from that standpoint, I don't think there's anything wrong with him making a profit. I think the biggest thing is they don't have a a unification among the three of them of, okay, we want to get this. This is how much we want to get and we're going to split it versus they kind of are kind of like, well, trying to get as much as they can and they don't always agree even on who's getting what split. So I think that's part of the issue. I don't think fundamentally it's wrong that they uh, they shouldn't just give it away because, you know, that's their father and that's their claim to him. I think um, we talk about people handing down wealth. We talk about it in different ways through insurance, through savings, through land. Well, Martin Luther King's legacy is is that. Now, obviously, it's not the same patent parcel as, say, uh, uh, those type of things, but it ended up being that. So with that being said, would you make, I could make the analogy and say, oh, well, you don't you wouldn't tell somebody whose whose parents left them xyz things to just give it away because it seemed like a good idea they should get some benefit from it that is their father so i don't have an issue with it the one thing i do wish would have happened is that they had been able to come to an agreement and understand the importance of such a museum and having Martin Luther king be a part of it but what i do think is going to happen which is the law of unintended consequences is 
without a, a, so much Martin Luther King stuff in there, I think it's going to open up and show a lot of the other African-American leaders who did so much. And I'm not at all detracting from what Martin Luther King did because obviously he is the guy. He did a lot. But there are so many people behind him, in front of him, after him, who did things that, that are not noticed, that are not known. And I think that's what's important that you'll be able to see now is that those uh, figures will be featured so that, you know, you won't have the things we've heard. You know, every everybody who doesn't know African-American history, their go-to person is Martin Luther King. Maybe we can get beyond that and understand if people kind of understand and this is something that tim scott said if you listen to the audio is if we can just go back and get an understanding of all that rather than just thinking about martha king and i have a dream speech like some people kind of sum up martha king and civil rights and everything that's gone in this country they it's like they, they think that i have a dream speech was like the end of it but that was just like the tip of the iceberg for what he wanted to do and so you know people have a way of romanticizing that and saying, hey, you know, with some of the things that are happening now where people are complaining and protesting different things, we're like, oh, what do people complain about? Martin Luther King had a dream and now it's been realized. Uh, OK, whoa, you got a lot. To, you got a lot of learning to do. And this museum is a great part of that. And I think his absence will allow some. Uh, how would you say will allow the perspective to see like what is the African-American history and struggle from, you know, being brought here to now, um, you know, the, the present day of the African-American. I'm glad you mentioned some of the things you did. Uh, there's so much revisionist history when it comes to Martin Luther King. Even that speech, the I Have a Dream speech, has been pretty much downsized to the towards the end when he when he, you know, repeats I have a dream that black kids and white kids will play with one another. That that whole that entire speech is calling out America and calling out his economic injustices. I mean, the the revisionist history on on that man and what he did is is baffling at times. One last thing I want to say about the museum physically, uh, I work in D.C. Sometimes I go running and I've ran past it. What I most like about this museum, if if anybody has ever been to D.C., you've seen the Lincoln Memorial, Washington Monument. They're pretty much you know made of similar stone, the same color. Even the Martin Luther King Monument itself is of that same color, same stone. This museum sticks out. It is like a copper brown color. It sticks out. It, it, it stands out on the mall. And I like it. It's like, you know, here I am. Look at me. It, it doesn't blend in with any of the other mu Smithsonian museums or monuments. So I encourage anybody who has never been to D.C. or if you have been to D.C., I think it's going to be a great museum. I can't wait to go to it personally, but just passing by it and seeing it is is a wonder to uh, witness. Orazio Macarella Jr. will join us in a few minutes. He's going to um, talk about, you may have heard about what's going on with Wells Fargo and some of their misgivings. Uh, the CEO got chewed out by Senator Warren. So he's going to come for a few minutes and just break down what happened and what's going on and uh, what you can do if there's something that you need to do about some of the wrongdoings that they did. Uh, but we, we try not to, you know, dwell on a particular subject on this show, Frank, but we're, we're not creating these police shootings. I, I swear we're, we're not. And it seems like almost every episode, man, from Michael Moore to uh, uh, Alton, Alton Sterling, Philando Castillo, it seems like there's always some type of shooting. We had two more a couple of weeks ago, one in Tulsa, Oklahoma, the other in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. 
And here's what we know. Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, it's reported that the guy's car, I guess, was uh, broken down. Police approach. He had his hands up. He was walking away with his back to them. He he stops. Uh, this officer who shot him claims that he was reaching into the car, even though the windows were rolled up. He was reaching into the car. So uh, he was shot. Some people say he was tased first. That I'm not sure of. But he was either tased first and then she shot. And officers just backed away and watched the man die. In Charlotte, North Carolina, you have a gentleman, his family, his wife is saying that he had a book. He did not have a gun. Uh, the police officers, they actually were in the neighborhood looking, serving a warrant for someone else. They're saying that he got out of the vehicle with a gun and then got back in the vehicle. So they decided to tend to him instead of the warrant. They can be heard on the video that she released saying drop the gun. She's saying he doesn't have a gun. Um, and they wind up shooting him and killing him as well. Uh, pressure has come on Charlotte Police Department. By the time you hear this episode, I believe police video should be released by now because it is said that it is coming. Um, you you are so good at articulating, you know, your feelings on these matters, Frank. And I just want to get your thoughts on Tulsa or Charlotte or both. And it's important that we take each case individually. You know, we never want to paint a broad brush and say, look, all of these shootings, the police are guilty. But we can say that all of them are very questionable. So what are your thoughts on these two latest shootings in Tulsa and Charlotte? I mean, I'm, I'm almost uh, speechless. But what I will start with saying is, and this is something we talked about in a previous episode about Colin Kaepernick. One of the things I did not see this week is all the uh, the Trent Dilfers, the Drew Brees, the Boomer Esiasons, Kate Upton, et cetera, et cetera, insert person here. Dabble Sweeney. They, they, right, Dabble Sweeney, all those people. Thank you. Um, all those people were silent on um, Alton. Excuse me. I was going to say Alton Sterling. That's another thing. But um, on... Um, I'm losing my train of thought here. Uh, um, Terrence Crutcher in Tulsa. And so, you know, my thing is that I'll take, let me just start with that one thing, that one case, because it's clear that there's there's a bias operating from the start of the video. And I think, uh, you know, I, I, do, I do believe God has everything happen for a reason. I, and I think that nothing happens in a vacuum. And Colin Kaepernick, I, I give you, you know, credit. I, I know you don't listen to the show, but we love you. To have to, if you ever want to come on, you're welcome to. But you know, him taking that knee and taking all that heat is going to, I believe, allow this situation to be seen by more people because there are people that look at him and they, yes, they criticize him, but they said, okay, well, I see him taking a knee. Uh, is he sure? I mean, what exactly is happening? I don't understand. And now people have seen it, and people who have actually made statements that were that were kind of on the fence they have now come over to the side of saying hey you know what this is wrong this is this is wrong because the helicopter is flying over and says this is like a big bad dude well already you're on edge you see you are you've already conditioned yourself to overreact if i if you know it's just like anything else it's like fight or flight you know you're you're in a tough situation so if you're already prejudiced when the situation starts you're going to overreact and so one of the things people don't understand is that there is a conditioning problem in America when it comes to the African-American. I mean, we've had people on the show and brought this up. Uh, Quinn Booker, QB, also uh, Brandon Davis came on. The criminalization of the black man is making it so easy to pull the trigger that I will say that every cop that pulls the trigger is not necessarily a racist. 
I don't necessarily believe that because that's too easy to paint that brush. But I do think they are. Con we have a conditioning problem where the, the black on black crime thing that everybody goes to, that's a conditioning problem. I know people don't think about how crazy that is. Like, I don't even mean just people that say on Facebook, but it's like in your mind, you have said, well, black on black crime. So it's it's like there's this there's this dehumanization that's already happening. And we do it to ourselves, too, because I've seen Ray Lewis, Cam Newton, who I've been disappointed with those guys commentary. They're saying well, we got to clean up our own communities first. <sighs> and, and so, yes, your own community has to be cleaned up. But what people don't understand is that police officers are law about their their law servants, they're servants of, of the state community county and their goals to serve and protect. And they are going to be dealing with people that, you know, break the law because if nobody broke the law we wouldn't need the police right you know it's like they don't we don't the irs isn't needed if everybody you know the irs is there as, a, as an oversight to make sure everybody pays their taxes if everybody always pay their taxes the irs probably wouldn't have as much function you know most of their work is going after people who don't pay their taxes or try to cheat on their taxes the same thing with police officers most of your work is based on dealing with the criminal element now, obviously, murderers need to be dealt with a certain type of way. People who want to commit murder, people who are armed, but but the, but the the number of black people who have been shot who are unarmed is too high, and it's on video. And so my thing is, you know, when we look at the situation, and now to add in the charge situation with it, the police are 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 acting too quickly. They don't know how to de-escalate the situation. There are, there are no rules for engagement. There is a fear. There is a uh, the black on black crime thing is coming to people like, oh my God, a black man, he's not cooperating. Who knows what he might do? And I think that is, is that bias is playing in, it's playing to everybody. Everybody has that, everybody has seen it. Now, some people, we don't let it affect us. Like we have, you know, on this show have debunked the myth of black on black crime, but there are even black people that say when this happens, well, we have to do better because they see us as, you know, a certain way. It's like, no, that's not the case. There, there, there are problems in white communities too. White people kill each other. White people have infidelity. There are problems in all communities. There, there's, you know, people tend to dress up the problems in other communities as well. That's just, you know, a little bit of something. But the, like black and black crime is an epidemic that's ruining the world. No, it's the same thing. It's the same thing everywhere. And so, in, in closing, before I, not to go on a huge tangent, which I, which I've kind of already done, I just want people that are on the fence or that are not sure what is going on to understand that we have an issue with the police more importantly than anything else. And obviously there is a race issue. I'm not going to be like Ray Lewis and say it's not a race. It is a race issue and it's a condition race issue. But what I'm saying is the police, if they are continue to allow to operate at this level, they will be shooting everybody and anybody with, without any set of consequences because it, it starts with the small, it starts small, you know, they're, they're low-hanging fruit are black people and other minorities who can't fight back. But once they can prove they can do whatever, they'll shoot whoever they want. And then you're in a police state and then you don't and then everybody's losing. So for everybody who thinks that it's not affecting them because it's not in their neighborhood and, you know, they need to fix their, uh, you know, black on black crime needs to fix their problems. You're missing the whole point. You're 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 missing something where the people who are paid to serve and protect us are going to start running or basically ruling over us telling us how to live how to how to talk to them how to look at them that that doesn't even make sense you know i've seen responses where it's like well he didn't comply they weren't compliant they weren't this they weren't that it's like criminals don't always comply that doesn't mean they have to die you know my my daughter does not listen to me she's 10 months old she don't always listen to what i say that don't mean I always 
discipline her or spank her. It's like sometimes she just doesn't listen. Sometimes I, you know, it depends. It's like, but she's certainly not gonna. I'm not gonna kill her. I'm not gonna abuse her. And so that's kind of what it's saying. It's like people don't listen all the time. It's not a death sentence. So we need to get past that. And we need to. And we need to open up our minds to understand we have been conditioned incorrectly to the criminalization of the black man and realize that it's a problem for all of us as, as people because we have allowed it to happen for years and it's not going to be an overnight thing. We have to open up our minds to it to say, wow, you know what? Black people aren't so scary and, and there has to be new protocols for police to become integrated with the people they're policing rather than them coming in kind of like, you know, dealing with us like roaches or rats. You know, it's, it's more of an extermination than actual policing. So there's a lot of work that needs to be done. I'm glad the competitions are happening. And at the end of the day, I'm so glad that Colin Kaepernick took that knee because I don't believe that without that, that as many people will be watching this and having a reaction and understanding what's happening. We're going to get to Orazio Macarella in a moment, in a minute, actually. But Frank, I would be remiss if we didn't mention um, the Michael Moore case. His mother uh, just released, I believe, uh, the, the medical report on him. And it's sickening, man. And and if you don't see the incompetence in the handling of this case, by the way, for those that are not familiar with Mobile or the Michael Moore case, it has received, I would pretty much say, zero national attention. Teenager uh, allegedly was uh, driving in a stolen car. I think the initial stop was for, what was it, a taillight? I don't know. I, I forget what it was. But the officer wound up shooting the teenager because he says he saw a gun. Now, folks that listen, I want you to hear that part. The officer said he saw a gun and that's why he shot him. He was re he reached for his gun. He grabbed his gun and that's why he shot him. Michael Moore laid handcuffed in the driveway, dead. He was transported. He, he was uh, he was pronounced dead by uh, by by the doctors. Five minutes after he's pronounced dead, the medical people, the doctors are the ones that discovered the gun. What police department, you know, that sees a gun? doesn't retrieve it after the suspect is subdued. What police department you know does this? And I'm, I'm wondering, you know, the, obviously the gun was in a place that was hard to get to if they didn't discover it until, remember it was discovered. It's not like the police said, hey, he has a gun on him, so make sure you get that. They discovered this weapon, which means it was hidden on him. So when did he see the gun? How did he see the gun? Did Michael Moore put it back in his waistband after he was shot and killed. It is so much incompetence. And if this officer, Officer Harry Hurst, is not indicted, I I, I really, I'm, I'm trying to choose my words carefully because I, I definitely don't want to incite anything. But I made, I made a social media post that the citizens of Mobile should not accept anything less than an indictment. If nothing more, we need more facts. We need more information on this because the way they've handled this case and the information that has been given out from that police department has been very incompetent. And like I said, we can get to Razio, but I do want to give you an opportunity if you have anything to speak on that, Frank, or we can move to Razio. But I know I kind of pulled that out of nowhere and I just want to give you the opportunity to speak on it or we can get to uh, the interview. Yeah, I mean, I did, I did want to respond. I, I, I do think this. I think that uh, there, there's obviously an issue here. And anybody who's seen police shows uh, and stuff like that, they have plenty of unmarked guns and guns that can be, how would you say, added at a later date that can't really be traced to anybody. You know, where, who owns the gun? That would be my question. You found a gun on this guy who owns it. Uh, you know, that kind of thing. Where did he get it from? Who's, you know, whose gun was it? And certainly 
if somebody is in a struggle with the police and they are shot and transported, they're they're searched and then they had a gun, they would be definitely it's something they would definitely find. And you know, certainly uh, if you shoot somebody, you want you want to have all your ducks in a row. And if they had the gun at the scene, they would have totally had it admitted to evidence. So them finding it later. Uh, totally reeks of, of a cover-up and and like you said it's being done like this because it's not receiving any coverage and that's the problem there's not a lot you know mobile is a smaller city and we're both from there and and it's got a very very southern presence in fact a little, little known fact is there was somebody actually hanged in mobile in 1981 that's the year we were both born or i believe yes not. and so and so i think that people don't even understand that was the last i think that was the one to say the last known lynching in the south that's in 1981 okay that's not even that that's in our that's in our lifetime that's that's you know so what i'm saying is there are some things that are going on in the south that are that are that are still going on and so a white police officer shooting a black cop i mean excuse me a white police officer shooting a black kid um and and, and that kid being able to you know not basically have have a voice to speak because he's dead they're going to do everything they can to make sure that white cop goes home because that's just how it works i mean let's let's just speak speak it real this is alabama and i mean it could happen anywhere but certainly in a place there where you have generations of people that have fought to oppress the african-american george wallace was the what they had to call the national guard to allow vivian malone to go into the university of alabama and that was not even that was 50 some years ago so let's just be real. It's it there that spirit hasn't gone away. It's been passed down, and it's it's in different places. It may not be an overt thing, but it definitely exists. So I think you're seeing a cover up. I I hope that there is a way to get some pressure on the police department on the city to you know be more how would you say be more transparent in what's going on. Uh, and, and that way there will be pressure to have an indictment because if it just kind of goes the way it's going, he'll get off and it'll just be another thing. And, and right now it's hard for that story to get traction nationally because obviously you got the video of Terrence Crutcher. You got a video of Keith Scott. So those are things that people are like, whoa, I mean, their people aren't going to be as moved about this story. So it's going to have to be more an internal thing on the ground that people push and so hopefully they will get that momentum there. That, you know, obviously that's our hometown. We really uh, want, want that to happen. So anything we can do to try to spread a message, try to spread a word, we definitely would like to do that for uh, Michael Moore and his family. The citizens deserve answers. The family deserves justice. And if the officer is guilty in any, in any way, he deserves punishment. Uh, there was another shooting at a Seattle, Washington area mall. Uh, Ted Cruz, he finally endorsed Donald Trump. And I want to say rest in peace to Bill Nunn, age 62, most notably known as Radio Raheem in school days. He played in some other movies, uh, but he's most notably known. I'm sorry, Radio Raheem and Do the Right Thing. He also played in school days. Don't jump on me, folks. He was in Do the Right Thing, school days, Sister Act, and some other movies. He passed away. So rest in peace to him. Um We'll post some articles on all three of those, the shooting, Ted Cruz, and also something on Bill Nine on our Facebook page, Politically Entertaining. Let's talk to Orazio Macarello. Listen up. It's time for a Politically Entertaining exclusive interview. 
time this guest was on our show, it became one of the highest ranked shows in politically entertaining history. Right now, as a matter of fact, it, it is currently like the second highest ranked show that we've ever had. Uh, he offered lots of info on credit and managing your finances. It was very informative when he came on. We encourage you to go listen to that episode. But this time he bullied his way to get on. He used a little nepotism. He threw his weight around to get on. So here he is, Orazio Macarella. How you doing, man? Hey, what's up, guys? Thanks for having me back on. I, well, I didn't really throw my weight around. I just... <laughs> <laughs> Frank, Frank, he, te- he texted me and said, look, this Wells Fargo thing, I need to get on. I need to talk about it. Clear the schedule. Get me on. And I said, okay, brother, it's yours. <laughs> It's so, all, it did sound something like that. <laughs> so, so, so this is what I want to ask you, man. Um, first off, tell the listeners what exactly did Wells Fargo do, and is this a common practice as far as when when uh, people at banks misbehave? Is this a common practice, or was this limited to Wells Fargo? And my third part is: is there anything that consumers can do or should be doing? So it's a three-part question for you. What what did they do? Is it common practice, and what can consumers do about it okay um yeah we'll start with what did they do so you guys know about the consumer protection bureau uh the consumer cfpb which is the consumer finance protection bureau um and so about two years ago the cfpb launched an investigation into wells uh and their practices with uh cross-selling is uh really what it's about uh and, and it's just opening up accounts for customers that, uh, you know, the customer really didn't need the uh, account or didn't need the credit card, but well, kind of, uh, you know, they were famous for kind of bullying customers into taking additional products. And, and so, um, you know, they call it cross sale and Wells was famous for having a cross sale of upwards of six, like, they call it a solution or a product. Six products per customer uh, is what they got up to. Industry average is about three. So, uh, you know, they they touted that as, you know, a testament to their strength and how good their salespeople were and everything like that. So when you look at, uh, you know, their show, shareholder meetings, uh, investor relations, you know, th- that was always mentioned. And uh, so the CEFPB started getting a lot of complaints on, um, you know, hey, I didn't sign up for this credit card, or hey, I didn't need that extra account. And so they started investigating them. And so, uh, you know, two years of fast forward to today. And um, so they they actually saw that it was happening. It was true. They were forcing clients into uh, things that they didn't really need uh, or didn't want. And so they got fined a record $185 million dollars for, um, you know, just unfair practices. Uh, and then their CEO had to go and testify in front of Congress. And so uh, John Stump's his name. And if you guys haven't seen the video of Elizabeth Warren <laughs> just tearing into him, it is probably the best 17 minutes uh, that's happened in the last two or three weeks. So <laughs> go, you know, YouTube it, whatever. But that was great. Uh, and she did a really good job of just kind of explaining how it was affecting real people. Um, and so I think the second part of your question was, is it uh, widespread throughout, I, I guess, the banking industry? Uh, and and cross sell isn't just widespread across 
the banking industry. It's it's widespread in probably any retail industry. So you, you think about you're going to uh, a clothing retailer, and first thing they ask you when you're checking out is, you know, hey, do you have our store card? Um, and and so that's cross sale. That's you know you weren't thinking about it. You didn't think you really needed it, but they're going to mention it because they're going to try to sell you on that product. And so cross selling is very very rampant. Uh, and there's really nothing wrong with that. Uh, what Wells did really poorly is that they were saying, hey, do you need this? Yes, you do need this. You will take this. It, it comes with the account. And, you know, just assigning uh, customers up for things that they really didn't need uh, and weren't giving the customers a good chance. And so what they found in the investigation is that Wells Fargo employees were opening up what they call ghost accounts. Uh, transferring a little bit of money from a customer's account, open the customer a second account, transfer money from their primary account into it, um, and then 90 days later after they got paid out for it in their incentive plan, they would transfer that money back into the primary account and close that account out. So it was cooking the books on a, a couple different ways. Uh, one, it was making Wells Fargo look like they, was, they were opening way more accounts than they were, uh, which led to, uh, you know, increased stock prices and everything else. Um, you know, strength-wise, the, the investment community thought that it was great. Um, but at the same time, Wells lost money on it because they were paying incentives to employees and they weren't getting any benefit out of these added accounts. So it was a double whammy for Wells when they, their stock price took a uh, dip uh, after all of this came out and they were paying out all these incentives. Um, so right now they paid $185 million uh, and now – the employees that were fired because they weren't doing this practice, uh, so they weren't hitting their sales goals, so they actually have filed a class action lawsuit against Wells. And so that's probably the next thing that's going to happen and come out in the news. Uh, you'll be seeing that a lot of people who were fired from Wells will be getting paid out pretty soon. Um, and then I think the third part you asked about was just what can people do? Uh, and so one is if you ever get a credit card in the mail that you didn't uh, request or, you know, an extra statement, you need to go to the uh, bank or wherever. You need to question that uh, and be aware of it. And and so you can always call uh, the, the bank or, or that um, person that get, sent that to you and, and try to get that off of your credit. Because when, when you get a credit card in the mail, that means that they pulled your credit. So that was a credit hit. So going back to, you know, our last conversation, that's going to be a credit pool. That's going to affect your credit score. So you need to make sure that that credit pool gets off of your credit as well as that card being closed down um, because you don't want to look like you're looking for new credit. I mean, there were customers that, you know, they go to buy a house and they're in the process. And if anybody who's bought a house, you know that, you know, once you start the process, they tell you don't apply for any new credit. <laughs> and they were messing people's, uh, you know, housing closings up. Uh, because they didn't know that they were getting a credit card, but somehow Wells was sending them credit cards. So, you know, there's a lot of things that you've got to be aware of and that you can reach out. And if that, and, and so if the bank isn't actually being receptive to you and they're not actually being responsive and, and clearing that up, you can always call the, uh, the CFPB and, um, and, and they can actually take a look into that. Hey, Roger, that was, that was some really great information. It's Frank, I'm, I'm jumping in here. Um, you know, you did mention something about the credit and this is, and like I said, if you haven't listened to Razio's first interview on our uh, other episode, just go back to iTunes, listen to that uh, episode there. Um, 
my question is you you certainly have mentioned credit cards and getting you know pulling credit reports i mean when people are finding this out at closing or you know at a very sensitive time if you have purchased the house you don't necessarily have a time time to go and fix it i mean what what was the resolution for these people immediately obviously calling the cfpb is is a is a long-term solution but that's not like the, it's like the next day they're going to resolve your problem and get you like back right like what do people who have been adversely affected at closing or maybe buying cars or doing other things where they needed their credit to be, you know, in a certain situation, do they have a case? Will there be another class action lawsuit coming uh, regarding this type of thing as well? There, there may be. Um, I, I, I don't know, you know, how rampant that was. It, it was mentioned kind of as, as, you know, an aside in an article that I read, but, um, if that is very, very widespread as well, then that could be another class action lawsuit. I mean, when you're that close to closing and, you know, they pull that final credit uh, report right before you close and they see that you, you apply for a credit card, all you can do is just go call well, see what happened, and uh, write a credit letter saying, I didn't apply for this, um, you know, it's been closed out, and you send that in, and that lender has to make that decision what they want to do, whether they want to go ahead and let that mortgage go forward or not. Um, so it, 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 you're definitely going to have to jump through some hoops to get that loan closed or that mortgage closed, uh, if you're in that process. Hmm. Uh, Razio, this, this sounds almost, when I was listening to you explain what was going on, it sounds almost Enron-ish. Uh, you've, you heard of companies like Tyco, Enron, and the whole housing crisis that we had a few years ago and how all that came about. Uh, is, is, is it similar to what happened with Enron? And, and my, my, my bigger question is this, like, I know it's easy to make Wells Fargo the villain in this scenario, but it sounds like this was more or less like individuals within the company that were just trying to, uh, you know, profit for themselves as opposed to some companies that have stolen people's, you know, retirement and 401ks uh, just, just for the benefit of the entire company. This sounds like it kind of hurt, as you mentioned, it hurt Wells Fargo in a way. So is Wells Fargo, the, the company itself, is it the villain or just these individuals within the company? It's a little bit of both. Uh, so there were about 5,300 employees that were terminated over a five year period based on, um, you know, what was going on. So uh, really Wells was, kind of doing the right thing. When they found out it was happening, they were terminating the employees uh, that were doing it. Uh, but what, you know, Elizabeth Warren and, and Congress and the CFPB is saying is that the incentive plans that Wells put out and that they had like this really pressure cooker type, you know, if you ever saw The Boiler Room or anything like that, those types of movies, um, that's kind of the sales culture that they had there. Um, and, and so, while Wells didn't actually say it was okay and they were doing the right thing by terminating the employees and saying that, hey, you shouldn't be doing this, uh, at the same time, their their sales culture was such that, you know, if you didn't want to be terminated and you wanted to hit your numbers, then this was kind of the only way. Um, and and I, I remember at one point uh, Elizabeth Warren was saying, uh, you know, 95% of those 5,300 employees were low-level uh, you know, frontline platform bankers that were uh, terminated. And, and her question was, there were no managers that were terminated because of this. There were no regional managers. You know, if, if multiple bankers in a branch are being terminated for opening up these ghost accounts, 
does it not make sense that that branch manager may have known about that or may have even instructed that? And, and so that's that was her line of questioning. And and so Wells can kind of sit back and say, look, we didn't know what was going on. We would have stopped it. But the sales culture that they produced is what happened with it. They they were so big on, hey, we need to push that cross sale. And what was happening is that they, they would always say, hey, we want to go to eight. We need uh, an eight cross sale, eight products per you know customer, no matter what. doesn't matter if they're a college student, fresh out of college. All they can get is a credit card and a, and a checking account. We know we need to get them loans, car loans, uh, get them a couple checking accounts, a savings account, whatever, and and try to get them up to eight. And and there really was no rhyme or reason to the eight. Um, their their whole idea was eight rhymes with great, and so that's what they said uh, was the reason why they said eight. Um, and exactly. And over the last four years, you've seen that kind of that cross sale just continue to increase. Uh, at one point, they were in, with the industry average of three to four, uh, and then they got to five and then to six. And I think they, their last real big um, publishing, uh, they said 6.3 was their cross-sale ratio. So it's continued to go up, and the only way that you can continue to cross-sale and, and get that big into a cross-sale ratio is to open up accounts that really a customer didn't need because most people don't need that many types of accounts. I mean, if you go back and you look at how many accounts you have, you probably only have about three or four accounts at a single bank. You know, you may have a checking account, a savings account, maybe even a second checking account uh, and maybe a loan. And that, that may be all that you need and a credit card. Um, but, and, and so what they're saying is that they want eight things from every customer at that bank. And it, it just really wasn't, you know, feasible. And so, Wells has to take some type of blame. Uh, you know, they can't just say, oh, well, it was just those low-level employees and uh, they were doing the wrong thing because the culture that they produced caused that. Anybody from Wells Fargo that's listening, I have a mortgage with you guys, and you just heard me try to defend you guys. So look out for a brother on these monthly payments. Uh, Razio, we're running up against the time, man. I appreciate you bullying yourself on the show. I'll get you out of here with a somewhat presidential uh, question. We have two candidates that nobody likes. A lot of people wanted Elizabeth Warren to run. And, of course, she said she wasn't ready. She didn't want to. If for some reason Trump wins, come 2020, this uh, this video of her lashing out at Wells Fargo, is it safe to say that this would be one of her presidential moments leading up to the next election? I, I definitely think so. Um, you know, I, I've got Republican friends that saw that video, and they were like, yeah, Elizabeth Warren. I mean, you know, they were they were supportive because she's she's looking out for the little guy in, uh, in this situation. I mean, she went at the CEO uh, stump, you know, couldn't really even respond to her at times. She would she was saying, you know, are you going to give back your uh, salary? You know, all of this happened on your watch. Are you going to give back your salary? Are you are you have you fired any executives? And, and you know, before he could really give a good reply, she was like, I'll take that as a no and continued on just hitting them hard. And so it made her look like she was standing up for the little guy uh, and really sticking it to him. And I think that'll be really good for her on, you know, when she, if she actually does try to run for president. I normally hate when people look ahead to the next presidential election, but with these two candidates, I think it's pretty understandable. Uh, Razio, thank you for coming on. We will post that video that he's referring to on our Facebook page, Politically Entertaining. As always, great talk, man. Love you, brother. Thanks for coming on. All right, guys. Thank you.
that was not a joke, folks. He really did. I, he really did bully his way on the show. Uh, Frank and I were working on other guests and he said, no, I need to be on there to discuss that. So uh, I hope you found that information valuable. Uh, as always, Frank, I uh, love having Rosie on. The last time he was on, it was, it was so much information. Frank mentioned it during the interview. Really want to reiterate, go back and listen to that episode with him discussing credit and how to maintain good credit or get good credit if you have bad credit currently and how to manage your finances. I mean, it's it's one of the most informative episodes we've ever had. And I really encourage you guys to go back and check that episode out in that interview with him. Um, we got a couple more things we want to get to. Uh, Kevin Johnson, former guard for the Phoenix Suns, he put them hands on somebody. They threw a pie in his face. <laughs> and he, he uh, I think he listened to our last episode on my uh, advice for what Obama should have done to the Filipino uh president and he wasn't having it he beat this protester down so uh kevin johnson did that we'll post something on facebook about that uh before we get into a very deep topic frank just want to let the listeners know um as we record this show we have the base coming up on saturday by the time you hear this show the debates will probably have already taken place um we're going to try to have somebody on to really discuss uh their answers and how it went in depth on both candidates I will tell you that Hillary has been unsure on how to prepare for Trump, which is very understandable because you never know what type of Donald Trump you're going to get. And Trump has been downplaying expectations and whatnot. And he's been more he's been campaigning more than he has been preparing for the debate. I just want to say it's not much to say about it because they haven't taken place as we recorded. But folks, don't overreact to who, quote, wins or loses. I remember 2012, that first debate between Obama and Romney, there were a lot of Obama supporters that panicked. Uh, so no matter how bad or good it goes for either candidate, just remember that there are two more debates. And I'll just leave it at that. Uh, Frank, you can chime in and then we'll move on to this serious subject we got. I mean, the debates are always, to me, uh, they're overrated. I don't know that. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's overrated, uh, but it might actually have more substance in this um, election just because of the way Donald Trump has been been doing his campaign. He's been very much, uh, very, very all, all style, no substance. And the debates are, to me, a lot of, you know, can can you almost almost like a rap battle, I, I, you know, to use an analogy, like can can you can you stun the other guy with a zinger, you know, can you catch the other person? in a lie or an, or an, or an, a lie like right there it's like because they're both candidates going to say things during the debate that probably aren't quite right or that are a little bit twisted or massaged to sound better but if you can catch your op- opponent in the middle of something they're saying and totally shut them down that'd be like a big thing and i think the the spectacle of what trump brings people expect an explosive debate i think going back to the romney and obama debate I think it was already decided. I think I think whatever happens, those debates were Obama was going to win the election, you know, unless he did something really crazy. He just had to kind of deal with Romney. Romney didn't really have anything to put over on Obama. The problem with this election to me is there's a lot of people that are saying that they don't like either candidate and maybe they're just willing to go off what they hear in the debate as voting basis. I, I don't know. But for the most part, I don't put a lot of stock into debates. But this is such a strange election with such strange candidates that I do think 
that there could be a little bit more put into these debates, especially if it goes one way or another. If they're just kind of normal, I don't think it will move the uh, meter. But if Donald Trump does something really crazy, um, maybe it affects him way. Or if Hillary Clinton gets something else comes out that looks makes her really bad. I mean, but overall, I don't expect it to to affect the outcome of the election. I I really don't. We will see what happens. I think you're right because, as you can see, like you said, Obama, after he so-called lost that first debate, he won pretty handily against Mitt Romney. Uh, Derrick Rose fans, Derrick Rose, he, you know, made his name in Chicago. He was the MVP there. He's now with the New York Knicks. Uh, I'm sure a lot of you know, maybe some of you don't know, he is being accused of rape. And this is actually by a woman who was his girlfriend. I think it was back in 2013. She's alleging that he and two of his friends came over in the middle of the night, drugged her and, and gang raped her. Or, you know, as they say in the streets, ran a train on her. She uh, she'd been drinking, I believe. And when they came over that night, she's alleging that they they drugged her and, and raped her. The, the ladies on the wind down talked about this when it came to uh, Nate Parker, Frank. Uh, here's what I want to talk about to kind of pivot away from Derrick Rose for a moment. I'm wondering, and let me know if I'm wrong or right, but I know for years the big thing when it came to rape was no means no. Like we drilled at home in, in, in men, like no means no. If a woman says no, you stop. It doesn't matter when she says no, you, you stop what you're doing. I'm wondering if we need to drive home the fact that you need consent. If you look at what happened with Nate Parker, she was out of it, she's alleging, and you know, he didn't necessarily get consent is what she what she alleged. And the same thing with this. If the girl is passed out, I think men are, are looking at it as well. She ain't saying no, so I'ma get it in. And that's that's rape. Guys, that's rape. If a woman is passed out, you can't take it. Even even if you and your boys have done this with her before, even if you've done it with her like earlier that day, if you go back over there like and she was awake and aware and was a willing participant in it earlier that day. If you go back over there and she's passed out from drinking or if you drug her, it doesn't matter what happened in the past. It's still rape. And I, I felt like the ladies on the wind down and being Erica Perkins, they really discussed this in, in a great way. And I, I, I wondered, do we need to drive this point home with men? Like, I think the no means no really got through to them. But we, we need to get through to them that consent, consent, consent. It needs to be either verbal or, or some type of physical consent. You kissing her, she's kissing you back. You touching her, she's touching you back. But if you're dealing with a lifeless body, just because she can't defend herself or say no, that that's rape, fellas. Like, am I... Do, do you understand what I'm trying to say here, Frank? Or where where are men getting lost or confused, or do they know exactly what they're doing and just trying to, you know, take the sex as any way they can get it? I, I think it's that. I think they're looking at it like, hey, you know, it's here, and I, you know, my carnal urges are taking over. Uh, certainly, if a, if a woman is not conscious, I I can't imagine that, you know, men. They they know that it's wrong. They're they're just hoping they can get away with it. In my opinion, they they do know that that kind of thing is is wrong. I don't think we need to go over that. I think one of the great things that um, Aunt B and EP discussed on their show is 
the fact that, you know, women that if you just because if you do have a, you know, say a train run on you, that's not rape just because you feel ashamed after it's over. You know, there's two different Correct. things. Like, so if if, yes. it, if it comes to find out that you were like, oh, yeah, I, you, your boy and your boy's boy, you know, I can, you know, you know, I won't use those terms because I'm a father and the show ain't like that. But it's just like she's acting like she's with it and then it goes down and then all of a sudden she wakes up and, you know, she's feeling kind of like, oh, why did I do that? And so it can't be a rape then. It's a bad decision. Now, if you weren't, but if you weren't awake for it, then yes, it, I do believe it's rape. But there has to be a line between, you know, obviously if she's passed out, the line is that she's not awake, she's not consenting. If she says no, she's not consenting. Um, you know, but if she is interested and it goes down and then she's ashamed, that's the line that gets really funny to me. It's like, well, there's not a great thing to say. Well, I'm ashamed of what I did, but I mean, it really wasn't rape, but I'm ashamed. And so I just feel like it's a complicated situation. I would just say this to men out there. Don't don't run trains. Um, it's probably not going to go well one way or another. Uh, and, 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 you know, I'm not trying to tell you how to live your life, but stay off, stay off the train. <laughs> I mean, you you're, and, and you mentioned uh, Erica them again. That's one of the things they said, like guys need to stop participating in the so-called trains because like you say you never just don't put yourself in that situation because guys like to talk and 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 the woman becomes embarrassed and they have second thoughts on what they did and all of a sudden you know what was consensual is now rape and rose is saying that she has consented to this before with those same co-defendants and she even consented that day uh, she actually is going to be named. She went on something like a, a media blitz as far as telling her side of the story. And the judge ruled that, hey, if you're going to be, you know, Derrick Rose's lawyer's fault that, hey, if she's going to be out there trying to win the, 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 the battle in the court of public opinion, then she should not be able to have the benefit of having a, a secret identity. So she's going to be named now. And to her credit, she she has consented and said, okay, but I'm, she's still going to go forward. She's seeking $21.5 million, and Rose is saying that, you know, she's trying to extort him. So I'm going to have to, uh, you know, piggyback on what you said, Frank. Like, fellas, tra- trains trains played out, man. I mean, <laughs> I mean it may seem fun. I, I know uh, Ain't No Fun is a popular song from back in the day, Snoop Doggy Dog, but I'm telling you, man, it's it's not worth it. It's not it's, that it's not that fun once once the accusations come around. It's, it's just not, not at all. Not at all. I mean, look at Nate Parker, man. We should just be talking about this great, great movie that's coming out, and instead he's had to deal with these accusations. But, 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 ain't, but ain't it karma too? I heard he had like five daughters, so it's like, ooh. Yeah. Yeah. So it's <laughs> it's, it's it's a shame. And shout out to the wind down ladies because I I felt like that portion of the show was was particularly great, and I, I loved how you two. Yeah, we got we got to get them back on here soon because I we we got to get that uh, political discussion going. I think they have some interesting things to add. Absolutely. Uh, just want to thank the listeners again for tuning in, and I just want to say one of the best compliments I get from some of you guys is when you say, "Man, it's gotten to the point now. I can't take CNN. I can't take Fox News. I get my news from you guys. I get my news from Political Entertainment. That 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 means that, that's 
why me and Frank do this right now. That's why we do it. It's not like we get paid to do it. So we really appreciate that. We just ask that you spread the word, share the link, encourage people to subscribe to it. And uh, again, just thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Subscribe, iTunes, all those uh, formats, Stitcher Radio, Podbean, and Podcasts. Yeah, definitely. Again, thank you, listeners. We're excited. The debates are here. The election is around the corner. Please make sure that you're registered to vote. The, the time frame for that is running out. You probably have about maybe, I don't know, maybe less than a month, if that, to get registered. So make sure you know where you're supposed to vote. If you are registered and you moved, make sure that you, you know where you're supposed to vote so you're not there on the uh, poll, poll, going to the wrong poll on the election day. So yes. just make sure, just take care of all those things. Know of any requirements so that you meet them. Uh, and, and that and that way you can be uh, you know cast your vote without any incident. Again, we just want to thank all the listeners. Listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, Google Play. Share with your friends. We're really excited. Uh, we're gonna see you guys soon on another episode of Politically Entertaining. Thank you for listening to Politically Entertaining. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes and visit politicallyentertaining.com for the latest in political news and updates.